So as we get started this morning, uh, before we get started, uh, I would want to just uh, encourage you and let you guys know, uh, please continue to pray for Pastor Mark. He's not around this morning. Uh, his voice is not well. So we just want to encourage and, and remind people, uh, please, please, please continue to pray for him. But that means that I get to be here and share with you guys and uh, finish out our study of Thessalonians. First and second Thessalonians, Pastor Mark has done most of the heavy lifting and I get to come in and play closer, get the save. <clears throat> so as we, uh, as we review and as we get into things uh, this morning, the church has been dealing with some stuff in, in the books of First and Second Thessalonians, right? They, they uh, have been excited that the day of the Lord is coming, the end is coming, and Jesus is supposed to be coming back. And there are some in that church who have forsaken the truth of God and they've exchanged it for a lie. Paul is addressing bad belief, bad theology, bad content. And because if they don't believe the right things, well, their actions, their conduct is going to be bad as well. So we've seen that. And uh, as we think about just this whole picture of the end times and, and the uh, Jesus is coming back, I found a story this week that kind of helped me connect and was a good reminder that I think I wanted to, to share with all of you guys. It was a story about a, uh, a gardener for a large estate, a large castle, and uh, he worked on the grounds, he was the head gardener, and he was conducting a tour for a visitor. As they had lunch, they toured around and seen everything, and as they sat down for lunch, the visitor asked him, when was the last time that the owner was here? And the gardener told him it had been about 10 years since the, the owner had been and seen things. And the visitor, of course, was prompted to ask, well, then why in the world do you work so hard? Why do you keep the gardens in such immaculate condition if it's been 10 years since the owner's been here? And the gardener told the visitor, it's because I expect him to return today. See, the, the reason why he worked hard is because he expected the boss to come back. He didn't know if it was going to be today. I don't know when he's coming but I'm going to act like he's coming back and I'm going to be ready. He wasn't sitting back in a lounge chair enjoying the day. He wasn't peeking over the gate, kind of waiting for, you know, oh, when I see the car, I better, I better get to work and get things ready. He was ready. And I think it's a good reminder for us as we've studied through these books. God's coming back. God has given us work to do. And instead of us just sitting back and... and staring at the clouds and, and waiting for Jesus to return one day. Those that wait on the Lord should be workers, not dreamers. If He's coming back, and we know that He's coming back, it's, it's not okay for us to just sit back and say, alright, well, He's coming back soon, so there's no sense in me doing anything. Like, what's it matter? God's given us work to do, and until He comes back, we better be about that work. That's actually part of what was going on here in these verses that Paul uh, was addressing. If you want to follow along, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, verses 11 through the end of the book, verse 18. Uh, we're going to read those verses together. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. 
And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. And I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way that I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Would you pray with me? God, we're here this morning to hear from You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is perfect, that it is inspired and breathed out by You. And that as we gather together this morning to hear from you, God, that your word, we know that your word can speak and will speak to us if we hear. God, give us ears to hear. Do your work in us this morning. Amen. So this is a continuation from Pastor Mark's sermon from last week. And it's actually a continuation of something that was going on uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians as well. Last week... Uh, Paul, he wrote them a, a note and he said, follow our example. When we were there among you, we worked hard. We didn't take anything from you. We, we worked and we earned our own bread so that we might be able to give and we might be able to serve others. That our life is about other people, not about just taking what we can take for ourselves. And as that example... Paul's now coming alongside of some people in the church that their, their belief was bad. They said, Jesus is coming back tomorrow, so why in the world would I work? Why would I do all the things that I'm supposed to be doing? I'm just going to sit here and wait. And they were, they were sky lookers. They were sitting there just waiting for Jesus to come back and ignoring all of the other things that they had been told. Do this, do this, do that. So that's what Paul's addressing. So we see, starting in verse 11, we see, for we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. This isn't the first time that Paul had to address it. Uh, In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5, we see him saying, hey guys, we've heard that you're not working, you need to get to work. He warned them, he, he cautioned them, he said, hey, this is a problem, you need to do something about it. And now he's coming back and having to address the same issue a second time. His concern has grown and he's having to confront the problem. I think if I'm Paul, man, just as a parent, aside from, from assuming what Paul's, I know what Paul's thinking, it's a lot easier when my kids listen the first time, right? It gets a little exhausting when you have to come back and you have to tell them again and tell them again and tell them again. Paul's coming back, say, guys, we've talked about this, but we'll talk about it again. This is what you need to be doing. It would have been easier to ignore the problem, but Paul loves them too much to just let it go. So in verse 12, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. Now, that may not sound profoundly theological. Like it, it doesn't sound super smart and fancy. And, but man, is it practical. Man, is it something that they didn't have to walk away from this letter and go, I wonder what Paul thinks we should do in this. I wonder how we should apply this. He said, I command. We command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion. That word command, literally translated, it means a military order that was handed down from a superior officer. If anybody in here has ever served in the armed forces or, or worked in a place where 
authority and commands are important, whether it be law enforcement or whatever other area, soldiers don't get to think for themselves. Right? You follow the orders of the commanding officer. There's a system in place, and the only way that the system stands is if people follow orders and people do what they're told to do. And Paul uses the same language. He says, we command you under the authority of Jesus. Jesus has given us authority and we're telling you, do this. This is what's best. And we're commanding you to do it. Now that, that might rub against us a little bit, but we're going to get into that a little bit more in just a minute. He's telling them, stop being busybodies. Stop being lazy. Stop being gossips. Stop being people who... The, the way it was described as I studied this a little bit, they said people were being lazy. They were just idle. They were sitting around not doing what they were supposed to be doing. But instead of being busy about their work, they were just being busy bodies and, and getting into everybody else's business instead. And it was causing problems in the church. It was causing problems for uh, this, this group uh, that Paul was addressing. This command, it, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 28. It says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he'll have something to share with one who has need. God had given them work to do. It wasn't okay for them to just sit back, kick back, get out of lounge chair, and, and wait for the king to come back. He told them, be about the work. And I think that's something that should caution us this morning as we gather together as well. We live in a society, we live in an area where, man, we're just trying to make it to the weekend. We're just trying to make it to retirement. We're just, man, we, we're blessed. And we have opportunities to just kick back and, and relax and have that leisure and that, that vacation time. And it's a dangerous thing, as we see here from Paul. Because they weren't working and doing what they were supposed to be doing, they were getting into a bunch of, bunch of trouble that wouldn't have been a problem if they were doing uh, their job. I think it's important for us. We don't have time to go all the way down this trail, but I want to encourage you just a little bit. Work is not a bad thing. Work, believe it or not, I'm going to prove it in just a second, but believe me or not, work is not a bad thing. Work is actually created by God. Work was not a punishment from where Adam and Eve sinned. It, work got harder when Adam and Eve sinned. But work was given to us before Adam and Eve had, had sinned, before Adam and Eve uh, broke and kind of fractured the world the way it was supposed to be. Genesis chapter 1, we see it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He gave them a job to do. He said, fill the earth. He said, rule over the, the earth. He said, establish dominion. He gave Adam and Eve work to do before there was any sort of punishment, before there was any sort of consequence for their sin. Over and over and over again in Scripture, uh, we're going we're gonna to put up a list of... Um, no, sorry. I got away from my notes for a second. <clears throat> I would encourage you. Take a few minutes. Take an hour. 
and do a little bit of looking for yourself. What does the Bible say about work? The Bible encourages us that we should work hard. The Bible encourages us that we should uh, be about the things that we've been called to do. And nowhere in Scripture does it say, go and make disciples of all the nations until you turn 65. (laughs) Nowhere in the Scripture does it say, go and, and take my good news to the nations Monday through Friday. It's not in there. God doesn't give us retirement. He doesn't give us, you did your time. We're good now. God has given us work to do. And while retirement may be wonderful, I don't want this to come across as, oh, he's in his 30s. He's just bitter that he's got a long way to go still before retirement. <laughs> Retire- there, there's parts of it that sound wonderful. But even when you're done working at your job, don't be done working. God has work for you to do, and until you're in the ground, God still has something for you. And I'd encourage you, go take a few minutes. There there were some sermons, there were some articles, there were some things. If you want to look into this a little bit more, send me an email. Uh, I'll send you some leads. But work is not punishment. Work is created by God, and work gives us a sense of fulfillment and purpose and meaning that comes from God. So let's look at verse 13. We see Paul transition a little bit. Verses 11 and 12 say, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. He's addressing this group of people that's missing it. And then in verse 13 he says, But as for you, brothers, do not grow weary of doing good. i got to address the problem over here. But those of you guys that are being obedient, those of you guys that are doing what you're supposed to be doing, man, keep it up. And that, that turning of his attention, don't grow weary in doing good, I think it's an important reminder for us. Because we live in an individual world. I'm going to do what I want to do. Let every, let every man kind of do his own thing. Let every woman do her own thing. I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong, and you don't tell me what's right or wrong. I'm just going to do me, is what they say now. But I'd encourage you that the way that we act as believers, the way that we act as a church, it makes a difference. It makes an impact on other people. We depend on each other. The way that we obey, you can encourage each other to obedience with your obedience. And you can cause others to be disheartened or to give up when you disobey. The Bible calls us a body. Calls us a family. And as we're talking about this whole topic this morning, that idea of being a body is important. Because if we're a body, you can't just ignore parts of the body that aren't healthy. If you've got disease and and rot that's developing in your foot. You can't just shrug your shoulders and go, eh, that's really far away. I'm not worried about it. Like, that causes problems in other parts of your body, right? A, a rotten tooth can, can make you sick. Rotten, you know, disease and, and sickness and problems in your body, they affect the whole body. And for us as a church, when we're talked about as a body, we have to realize our obedience affects other people. Our disobedience affects other people. 
It's not something that we can just kick back and say, I'm just going to do my thing. They can do their thing. If they get it right, great. If they don't, it's not my problem. Paul cared about the rest of the body. And we're supposed to care about the rest of the body as well. Let's look look at verse 14. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. That seem harsh to anybody else? That seems a little harsh to me when I read it. If someone does not obey the instructions, take note of that person and don't associate with them so that they'll be put to shame. Well, sometimes the reality of being a good parent is that sometimes I get to hug my children and sometimes I have to discipline my children and and show them what's best and I have to correct where they get out of line. If I was just giving my kids everything that they wanted every time they asked for it, if I went home and said, hey kids, what do you want for dinner tonight? Whatever you want, you got it. I've got four kids. One of them's not old enough to talk so she wouldn't have much input. But the other three, I can tell you, I'd have a bowl of Skittles on the table. I'd have Lucky Charms and and sugary cereal on the table. I'd have uh, probably just a a gallon of chocolate milk with a straw for one of them. It wouldn't go well, right? My kids might love that in the moment, but an hour later, my house is going to be broke. There's going to be some problems if I just give my kids everything that they want all the time. Sometimes being a good parent is not about giving them everything that they want. It's about giving them what's best. And as Paul starts to, starts to turn the tide a little bit on these people who were not following God's best for them, it starts to take a turn that, that I feel like it may make some of us uncomfortable. It may go from, okay, yeah, that's a great suggestion. Like, okay, I, I hear you, Paul, to, oh, Paul's stepping on some toes. That seems a little harsh. And I think our tendency a lot of times is to just ignore difficult. To just pretend like we don't see that person over there that's doing what they're not supposed to be doing instead of realizing it and turning and looking to help correct it. Discipline and correction are part of being loved. I can't say that I love my children if I don't ever discipline my children. If I don't ever correct my children when they're wrong, that's not being a very good dad. That's not being a very loving friend if I see my friend doing something that's going to harm them and I just shrug my shoulders and say, they'll figure it out or they won't. The Bible talks repeatedly about God's correction. This is where the verses. Check these verses out. Take a picture, write them down. We don't have time to look at all of them. Hebrews 12 is a beautiful, beautiful picture. A reminder to us. If God loves us, God corrects us. A loving father can't just shrug his shoulders at his child that's missing it. And God doesn't. He will not just shrug his shoulders at us and say, good luck. So I'd encourage you to check those out. Correction, discipline has been a part of the Christian tradition uh, for centuries. Throughout church history, uh, correction has been an important part. We see Tertullian in the 2nd century. We see Nectarius. He was a a bishop 
uh, in Constantinople in the 4th century. People like Martin Luther and John Calvin in the, the Middle Ages as they were uh, going through the Reformation. Jonathan Edwards a couple hundred years ago. All of these people, if you look back person after person after person after person, church after church after church throughout history have said, hey guys, there's times when we miss the mark. And part of being a healthy church, part of being the organization and the family that God commands us to be and and asks and, and, and tells us to be is we have to walk alongside of each other. And sometimes I miss things that I shouldn't miss. And sometimes you miss things that you shouldn't miss. And we're blind to things in our own lives. But part of the church's job is for us to correct when we get out of line. The Belgic Confession, it was from a document from the 1500s that talked about the marks of a true church. It says, the true church can be recognized if it has the following marks. Number one, the church engages in the pure preaching of the gospel. Number two, it makes use of the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. Talking about us uh, practicing uh, communion and baptism. And then number three, it says it practices church discipline for correcting faults. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and holding Jesus Christ as the only head. We don't like being told what to do, right? I don't like being told what to do. I might have my plans for today like marked out and set. I'm ready to go. And if someone tells me, hey, I need you to go do that, all of a sudden I want to cross my arms and say no. I don't like it when somebody tells me what to do. I like feeling like I'm in control. And it's really hard for us to read stuff like that sometimes. It's really hard for us to hear things like Paul said sometimes and say, when you miss the mark, it's someone else's job to come alongside of you and to correct you. When someone else is missing the mark, it's your job to come alongside of them and to correct them. Our goal is not about being comfortable or or, or just living through life without having difficult conversations. Our goal is to live the way that God tells us to live. Let's look at verse 15. Let's look at 14 and 15 together. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he'll be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Discipline is about correction and restoration. It's about getting back on the right path. It's not just about punishing and I think Paul's on to something here because if, if we're not careful, this conversation that we're having can lead to a very legalistic place. can lead to a place where everybody's looking and pointing at each other going, hey, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Hey, they, hey, look at this person. I'm better than that person because look what they did. That's not the point. He says, don't admonish them as an enemy. This is not a an opportunity for you to stick it to someone. This is not an opportunity for you to point out how messed up your brother or your sister is. It's not something that we get to do out of rivalry and go, neener, neener, I'm better than you. It's something that we do in love. It's something that we do tenderly. It's something that we do because as a brother or as a sister, we love that person enough that we don't want to see them continue in a path that may harm them. 
as hard as it may be. Scripture is very, 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 very clear about the importance of walking in community, walking in family. It's the reason why I'm wearing a bright blue shirt up here this morning that says you're made for community. Part of being the church is having people that know you and having people that are there to help you when you miss the mark. Verse after verse after verse after verse after verse. We don't have time to get into all of them because we could spend a whole sermon on that slide right there. But the Bible is very, very, very clear. You need help. God asks us to do things that are not always easy, but they're what's best. And for us to try to do it alone is going to be, is going to be difficult, if not impossible. So the way that God helped us with that is He gave you the person that's sitting next to you. He gave us our church family. He gave us brothers and sisters who are in that same fight, who are struggling just like you are, and said, hey, you're going to miss stuff, but I gave you them to help you. And they're going to miss stuff. I gave you to them so that you might be able to help them. This book, it challenges us frequently if we'll let it. This book says a lot of things that are difficult for us to hear, that are difficult for us to obey. There's times where God, He says things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. All right, that's really hard for me. Maybe you guys have all got it figured out. Help me with that one. That's really hard. For the people that, that persecute me, the people that want to make my life difficult, to make my life miserable, to pray for those people, I don't want to. I don't like it. But you know what? It's God's best. And if I trust that this book is what we say it is, it's easy for us to come together and say, yeah, I believe that the Bible is true. I believe that the Bible is, is breathed out and spoken and given to us by God. That's great for us to say. But if we read it and we only do the things that we agree with, that's not us living what we just said. If we believe that this is true and we believe that this is from God, that means that even when I disagree with it, which one of us is wrong? I'm wrong, right? The Bible is not wrong when it says, love your enemies. The Bible is not wrong when it says, uh, relationships were made to be this way. It's not wrong when it said, husbands, give of yourselves and love your wife like Christ loved the church. It's not wrong in those things, no matter how hard it might be. And what we see here from Paul is he's saying, you're going to miss it sometimes. But that's okay, because God gave us each other to help. So let's keep looking. Verses 16, 17, and 18. Now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And may the Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way that I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul gives us all that difficult, challenging stuff to do. And you know what he does at the end of it? He says you're not going to be good enough to do this in your own strength. 
But you know who is? He redirects us and He says, May the God, may the Lord of peace Himself grant you peace in every circumstance. He's praying for them. He says, I know that you're going to have a hard time doing this, but I pray that God will help you do this. Sometimes we may get our toes stepped on. when we're, If we're a family, there's times where my brothers and my parents, I, I get a little frustrated at them. Talking about my earthly family. We go back for Christmas, there's going to be a fight over something. We're family. Welcome to the family. Part of being a family is, is, is that we disagree on stuff sometimes. But that doesn't make us not family. That means that we work through it. And if we're going to be a family like God says that we are, God is going to give us the strength and God's going to tie us together that even when things are hard, even when we have to do this, this correcting that might be difficult, God's going to work in us and God's going to give us peace. And if God said do this and God says this is what's best, we can trust and know that His power is going to mean that it really is what's best even if it's terrifying sometimes. God's desire for us is more than us living in this cycle of sin, God, I'm sorry. And sin again, and God, I'm sorry again. And sin again, and God, I'm sorry again. God has forgiven us. One of the great, great newses of the Bible is that you can be forgiven. And your punishment can be taken away by Jesus when He paid your debt on the cross. He paid a penalty so that God could look at us and declare not guilty because that punishment was poured out on Jesus. That's great. But there's more to us being His than just God looking at us and saying forgiven. Right? There's a, there's a big word that kind of explains this whole idea. It's the word sanctification. I feel like Pastor Mark, I've heard that he's used this before, but I... I put the definition up on the screens for you guys to see. And this is a really smart guy's definition. He said, sanctification is to be set apart from common use. To be made holy. The nature of sanctification is twofold. In that Christians have been made holy through Christ and are called to continue to grow in and strive for holiness by cooperating with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit until they enjoy complete conformity to Christ. I'm going to give you that in, in very simple terms. When we become a Christian, God looks at us and says, we're no longer guilty. But you wake up the next day, and those bad habits and those sinful habits, they're still there, right? We still fight against the natural desires of our flesh. Sanctification is the process where every day we, we wake up and we say, God, help me to be a little bit better at what you've told me to do and who you called me to be than I was yesterday. Every day, God, give me the strength Help me to be a student of your word and hear from you and listen to you. And every day, I just want to be a little bit better. I want to live a little bit closer to the way that you've told me to live. Because I believe that if you are who we say you are, that you created us and that you love us and you know what's best for us, then I want to live life the way that you told me to live it. As hard as that might be. And so every day we want to get a little bit cleaner and a little bit better and a little bit better. That's sanctification. God wants us to continue to grow. And you know what He's done for us? He didn't just tell us, be better. Hey, be better. He gave us tools to help us in that process. 
The first one that's, that's mentioned in this is the Holy Spirit. God didn't say, I forgive you, but good luck. He put His Holy Spirit within us that when we, when we called Him King and Lord and accepted His offer of salvation, God put His Holy Spirit inside of us to give us the strength and to give us the power to do what He's called us to do. And you know what the other tool is that we've seen this morning in this whole conversation? There were people in the church in Thessalonica that were missing it. They needed to be sanctified in their actions, that they weren't working and they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. But the thing that we get to see here is God didn't just say figure it out. He gave them brothers and sisters. He gave them the church so that we might be able to help each other in that process. Part of your job as a member of the Rock Community Church is to help other members of our church live life the way that God wants them to. That's why Paul's addressing the way that he's addressing in 2 Thessalonians. Your job is to lovingly, lovingly, not as an enemy, but as a brother, lovingly come alongside of someone and say, hey, I see this and I'm worried about you. I love you enough to have a difficult conversation and to point something out for you. My beard's mighty short right now. My wife, I like my beard. I would just let it grow until it, I stepped on it. and I like it, whatever. My wife doesn't. It's a, it's a whole thing in our house. And I try to get away with how long can I let it grow before she says, nope, enough. And then I trim it. And then I sneak and see how far I can get until she says, nope, trim it. Sometimes when it gets big and full and bushy, I'm sitting eating dinner and food gets stuck in my beard. It's not a pretty part of it, but it's just a part of having a beard. Guys, you, if you've had a beard, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know that it's there. And I could happily go about my life and never know that it was there until I walk past a mirror. I'm blind to what's going on on my face but other people aren't. Everybody else can see that I'm sitting here with ketchup on my face. And it looks ridiculous, and I want to wipe it off, but I don't know that it's there. Well, you know what? Church, your job is to come alongside of your brother or your sister and show them where they're missing something. Not in a way, not as an enemy, not to point out their flaws, not to say, ha ha, I'm better than you, but to say, hey, as we both stumble and walk through this really difficult process of becoming who God wants us to be together, I need your help and you need mine. I might see something in your life that you're blind to. And you may see something in my life that I'm blind to. If we're going to be the family that God calls us to be, we have to trust each other enough to say, hey, you know what? I love you enough to have those hard conversations. Paul was having those hard conversations and we see him continue to escalate just as any good parent would, just as any loving brother or sister would. Don't stick that fork in the socket. Hey, don't stick that fork in the socket. Peyton, stop. Don't do that. Sometimes I might even have to get up and discipline one of my kids if they were trying to stick something in a socket. We see Paul escalate here. First Thessalonians, he warned them, hey, stop doing this. We hear that this is going on. It's dangerous for you. 
Here in 2 Thessalonians, he commands them, stop doing what you're doing. Stop living idle lives. Stop being busybodies. Go to work and, and live the way that you're supposed to. He exhorts them. He says, hey, you're not doing this. You need to do it. And then he commands them, don't associate with these people. Don't condone their behavior. Don't just sit back and say, oh, everything's good. It's not. The most loving thing for them to do was not to just shrug their shoulders and say, I hope they figure it out. It was to say, hey, I love you enough that this is not okay. As hard as that might be for us to hear sometimes, that would be the loving thing for you to do to me. Hey, you're missing something. It would be the loving thing for me to do for you. Hey, you're missing something. The worship team is going to come up here in just a minute and is going to lead us in one final song. I'd encourage you as they're singing, if you need to come, just uh, come down front and pray. I'd encourage you, come down front and pray. Ask the Lord to help you with this. If you need prayer, our prayer team is going to be over here and after the service is over, they would love to pray with you and to walk through this with you. You got questions? You want to tell me I'm, you know, I, I missed something? Send me an email and tell me that. We'll talk through it. All right? Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You that even when uh, it's a hard truth, we know that it's a good truth. And as we gather together and as we look at Your Word this morning, God, we pray that we would surrender to, to living life the way that You've told us to live it. God, we pray that we would surrender ourselves, that, that we would trust each other enough to correct us when we need to be corrected. And we pray that you would give us a spirit of boldness that if we need to lovingly come alongside of someone and correct them, that you would help us do that as well. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the brothers and sisters that we can walk this, this challenging walk of sanctification together with, knowing that we have each other's bests at heart. We thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Brothers.